0: Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Dr. Zanish Chagpar, Susan Higgins, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Chagpar is Associate Professor of Surgical Oncology and Director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. Dr. Higgins is professor of therapeutic radiology and of obstetrics, gynecology, and reproductive sciences. And Dr. Gore is director of hematological malignancies at Smilo and an expert on myelodysplastic syndromes. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can submit questions and comments to dot EDU. Or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. Tonight, you'll hear a conversation about head and neck cancer with survivor Chaz Timberlake and his physician, Dr. Wendell Yarborough.
1: Charles, is it okay if I call you Chaz? Absolutely. (laughs) I know you go by Chaz. So um, just tell me a little bit about how your journey with um, head and neck cancer, and more specifically, um, the neck mass that was found in you started. Well, about
2: a year and a half ago, Uh, I was shaving one morning and for some reason just pulling on the skin on my neck uh, I noticed there was a lump there uh, next to the muscle on the right side of my neck. Um, I noted it, uh, watched it for a couple of months and decided I should have it taken uh, a look at with my annual checkup. Uh, When I went in to see my doctor he took a look at that. Uh, as well as uh, a lot of other things and uh, said well I think what you have there is a uh, uh, some sort of a lipoma or probably more like a cyst and uh, nothing to worry about um, I went home decided not to do anything about it for a while eventually I noticed that it was still there. And about four months later, I decided I better have it looked at. When I went to have it checked out in, I guess it was September last year, um, the doctor I went to see in Stanford, uh, at Stanford Hospital, um, came back to me with the result of tests and said, we need to do uh, biopsies, need to do core biopsies, at which point I realized that this was something a lot more serious than a cyst. Uh, at that point, he came back with a diagnosis of a uh, cancer. Um, I believe he called it a carcinoma at the time in my lymph nodes.
1: Wow, that's a that's a fairly prolonged story from the time that you first recognized it until the time it was diagnosed. And and I must say, we hear that story pretty frequently. Um, Were there any symptoms that you had associated with the neck mass other than just the lump? There were no symptoms at all. Um, Other than uh,
2: the lump being there, it didn't uh, cause me any pain. I didn't have any uh, uh, other symptoms such as maybe lethargy or something like that that would direct me Mm -hmm. to something being amiss. The only thing I noticed and the reason I finally went for the Uh, doctor at Stanford Hospital was I was getting a little bit of a sore throat, oh, just enough to uh, tickle my brain and say, hey, it's not going away. This was about two or three weeks worth. And I said, I better have it checked out.
1: Yeah, sounds like that was the right decision in the long run. It certainly was. I wish I had done it a few months earlier. So, So once you had the diagnosis, then what was the next step?
2: Uh, The next step was I decided I needed at least a second opinion and probably a third and maybe more. (laughs) Uh, In the end, I ended up with uh, two second opinions, uh, one from a very nice gentleman at uh, Yale Hospital. Uh, I think his name was Dr. Yarbrough. (laughs) And uh, finally, I went down to uh, the head uh, surgeon at um, uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering. Um, Amongst all of those, uh, the only one who probed a little bit further uh, as to what the mass was all about, what was behind the uh, cancer, was uh, yourself. Uh, You asked several uh, pages of questionnaire that didn't appear on any of the other ones. Um, As a result of which, you decided to take extra biopsies. Uh, a couple of them, and your suspicion was that this might be related to uh, HPV, the human papilloma virus.
1: Yeah, that's a that's really an intriguing um, story in um, head neck cancers, which. Um As we talked about earlier, head and neck cancers are not um, cancers that are um, well recognized in the general population. Even some uh, providers don't know a lot about head and neck cancer, um, which basically means cancers of the throat, mouth, tongue, um, voice box, Um, but this human papillomavirus connection really um, focuses on a few areas in the throat um, the tonsils and the tongue base where most of these human papillomavirus uh, tumors arise from Um, so um, as you started down this pathway you knew you had a neck cancer um, and there was a suspicion that it had arisen in your mouth or throat Um, can you tell me a little bit about the procedures that you went through to try to determine where this tumor may have come from well,
2: at one point i was uh, excuse me given a uh, i'm not sure what you call it the probe um, endoscopy endoscopy mm-hmm. um, and subsequent to that um, after the results of the of the biopsies that uh, you performed, I believe that was the a determinant of where we were going to go with it. I think after that, we scheduled the surgery, as I recall.
1: Right. Yeah. So um, had you, back related to the human papillomavirus, were you aware of human papillomavirus as a cause of uh, these cancers, especially in men? Yeah, human papillomavirus is um, more or less pretty well known for uterine cervical cancer, but had you ever heard of it causing cancer in men before? I had not. Uh,
2: I was aware of the uh, HPV uh, issue for women uh, in cervical cancers. Um, I had been aware of that for quite a few years, I think, but I had never heard of it uh, related to uh, throat-type cancers, mouth and throat cancers, and
1: especially not in men. Um, and when when you heard about the HPV um, component of your cancer. Um, Did you know anything about the treatments associated with that or the response of those tumors compared to tumors that may be caused by tobacco, which is the other major cause of head and neck cancer? I did not. um, Not knowing that they actually
2: existed, I really didn't have any uh, thoughts on that. I didn't have any knowledge of it. Uh, In fact, I was uh, quite enlightened by my experience with you. Um, in terms of uh, the prevalence uh, of these cancers and the uh, treatments associated with dealing with them. Yeah.
1: So uh, I think um, we've all uh, been surprised by how rapidly this uh, tumor has increased. It is more common in men, as we've discussed, uh, about 3 to 1 compared to women, and um, these tumors Will be more common than uterine cervical cancer caused by HPV uh, by the year 2017 is the predict- is the prediction. So um, it's really been a rapid increase in these tumors since about the year 2000. Um, and I I do want to mention that there is a prevention strategy for human papilloma virus infections, um, which is the vaccine. Um, you've probably heard about that as well, but. Um, these vaccines are not treatment vaccines. They only prevent infection. So it's important for uh, boys and girls to be vaccinated. And the um, Centers for Disease Control has recommended these vaccines for both boys and girls um, ages 11 to 21, and for women up to 26. Um, so we, we're really excited about a vaccine that can prevent cancer and can prevent head and neck cancer. Um, so, so, so back to your story. When you initially got this diagnosis, what did you think? What was your first um, reaction? Well, my first reaction was uh,
2: shock. Um, I didn't go into a depression right away, but uh, yeah, I was taken aback by it. Uh, especially since I had had a, a sort of benign diagnosis months before. Uh, it, was, uh, it was quite a slap in the face to uh, hear that this was a cancer. I think everybody who hears the word cancer um, in, you know, in, in the modern day uh, fears that uh, this is the end. This is you know, a, a terminal disease, and uh, that it's curtains. So my first question, I think, was, OK, how long do I have? Um, that really focuses uh, your brain on what's important in life. And from that standpoint, um, I think it was a, uh, if it can be called a good exercise, I think it was really very worthwhile. Uh, It made me realize uh, certain aspects of my life that were not uh, wrapped up were not taken care of, especially financially, um, considering what might happen to my survivors if I were going to be gone. And uh, from that standpoint, uh, uh, if it has to be, I think it was very worthwhile. Um, That was my first reaction, and I went through a period of a few weeks uh, being quite scared about it. Uh, wondering what was going to ultimately be the process I would have to go through. Uh, You had explained to me that the first uh, procedure would be to remove the tumor from my neck. However, there were other issues as well which had to do with the tonsils, the back of the tongue, uh, the throat in general. And um, those would be dealt with also by surgery uh, at the same time that you would be removing the tumor in my neck. Uh, Furthermore, uh, somewhere down the line, about a month later, uh, I would be entering into a program of radiation. Uh, There would also be the possibility of having to go through chemotherapy. In my case, I only had to go through radiation, it was Mm. decided amongst us. That uh, radiation would be the
1: recommended treatment. So, so that sounds like a lot of information to come in and get thrown at you all at once. Um, you know, if you have cancer, the cause of it being a, a virus, um, meeting multiple doctors with multiple different treatments being discussed, and not really um, knowing where this tumor originated and and still having to chase that. Um, So it seems like it's quite overwhelming for patients when they come in and and we have these discussions and they meet the members of the the team that are treating the um, the cancer. Um, How was your experience with navigating through that system and taking all that information in? Well, to take it from the beginning, um, it was an
2: even bigger uh, quest to find the right place to do it. Um, As I said, I went to three different uh, uh, venues uh, between Stanford here at Yale and uh, at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York my decision uh, was difficult. It took me some time to come to it, uh, especially since I didn't know anything about the disease. I didn't know anything about the prognosis beforehand. Um, Without that knowledge, it's very hard to decide, okay, who amongst all of these really, really highly respected, uh, highly recommended uh, hospitals and doctors do I trust with my uh, with my life, with my uh, with my body after the fact, um, I think that was the biggest problem for me. Once I had decided uh, to go with uh, Yale and with you, um, that was dealing with the people at Yale was really quite easy in, in retrospect because uh, they're the uh, most caring and uh, wonderful group of people I've had to deal with uh, in my life, and dealing with something like this, um, they were fantastic.
1: I, I tell you, it, it, I, I hear from patients a lot that the not knowing, <laughs> the um, uncertainty is sort of what really creates a lot of the anxiety. Um, and. Um, once you understand and start learning and knowing how you're going to be treated and the team members, it creates some, some sense of stability. Very much so, very much so. Um, once
2: I knew what I was going to go through, how it would be, um, my, my fears didn't vanish, but they really subsided. I was very comfortable coming here.
1: Well, we'll pick back up with that when we return. We're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about Chaz's story and head, neck cancer.
0: Smoking can be a very strong habit that involves the potent drug nicotine, and there are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking. But smoking cessation is a very important lifestyle change, especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment. Quitting smoking has been shown to positively impact response to treatments and to decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies. Smoking cessation programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. The smoking cessation service at Smilo operates on the principles of the U.S. Public Health Service clinical practice guidelines. All treatment components are evidence-based, and therefore all patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications and smoking cessation counseling. This has been a Medical Minute, brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. For more information, go to YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome
1: back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Wendell Yarbrough, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Chaz Timberlake, who's a head and neck cancer survivor. So as we were leaving, um, we we were talking about um, the – um, treatment process and um, the certainty um, that came with getting on a pathway and meeting your team. Um, and, and I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about your thoughts when you first heard that we may do some transoral robotic surgery to um, remove the back of the tongue area and the tonsillar area in search of your tumor.
2: Well, I thought that was quite interesting, actually. Um... As far as the process went, I knew I'd be asleep, so it really didn't uh, it didn't affect me directly, um, consciously anyway. But uh, I was really pleased to hear that uh, we were using very modern, up to date uh, methods, and I was intrigued by it. I, in fact, uh, looked into online uh, the uh, methodology and the uh, units that you use, the robots. Um, The actual uh, experience of it again—I woke up, and everything was gone. So that was something that uh, really is more your domain because you get to use it and
1: uh, take care of what needs to be done. Um, What were your symptoms? What was your recovery like after the surgery? Um, One reason we do um, use the robot and other minimally invasive techniques is to try to avoid. Um, having to uh, remove or or dissect through normal structures so that we can um, get to the same areas without damaging those normal structures with the hope that people recover back to a better functional status. Well,
2: I had had uh, arthroscopic surgery on both of my knees, uh, and the comparison between how my knees look today and my brother who had them done 20 years before is quite radical. My brother has about a 10-inch scar on both of his knees. Uh, mine, you can't even see. The little holes that were used to uh, introduce the, arth- the arthroscope into the uh, knees to work on them, they're invisible. And I figured that that had to be a really good thing uh, for what needed to be done in my throat, if it could be done without having to go through uh, my neck or, or some other uh, method. Um, I thought that was great. And once I knew what the procedures were going to be and I knew what the outcome uh, might be from it, uh, that the prognosis for this type of cancer was uh, actually pretty good compared to a number of other ones uh, that might have been uh, the case, I was uh, quite, if you can say pleased. uh, I was uh, ready and uh, eager to go through with it and get this on the road.
1: Uh, so um, after the after the initial um, surgery with the robot and the neck dissection, how long were you in the hospital, and how long before you were sort of back on your feet and swallowing, or um, and how was your um, communication afterwards?
2: I was in the hospital. I was told I'd be in the hospital for probably six days or so, five to six days. In fact, I was out in three. Um, I healed pretty quickly, and uh, I'm quite happy to go home, so I did. Uh, that was pretty short. I have to say I've never been better taken care of in my life. I probably wish I could have stayed for three or four weeks. The staff in the hospital, the uh, medical staff, the everybody from uh, the people who bring you your trays in the morning, everybody was the nicest they could possibly be, and they really made me feel very comfortable and very taken care of. Um, This, if you have to go somewhere, is a great place to go. I was uh, maybe two weeks at home experiencing a fair amount of pain, uh, but no more than I would have had with a normal tonsillectomy. Uh, My neck, where the lymph nodes were removed uh, and the tumor from my neck was removed, uh, that really didn't bother me at all. Uh, I didn't even notice it except for the scar. And uh, as I was promised by Dr. Yarbrough, um, the scar would fade into wrinkles, which I didn't really appreciate, but in fact has happened. unless I tell people about it nobody notices it today
1: so I think one of the things you mentioned that's really important um, especially for um head and neck cancer is the team-based approach so you, you mentioned you know the nurses um, the the surgeons the um, assistants the the, the coordinator who helps schedule the appointments. Um, and, and, you know, of course, part of that team is also the people who deliver the post-operative care. And I know that um, we had quite a few discussions at our tumor board um, about the appropriate care for you um, after your surgery and after the pathology came back. And um, I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about your post-operative therapy and what it was like to to go through um, that post-operative therapy, how long it lasted, and what were um, side effects. Well, the biggest problem, I think,
2: post-operatively was uh, swallowing and eating. I actually didn't have a lot of trouble swallowing, um, but it was painful. And uh, I'm not very happy taking meds. Um, I stopped taking the uh, immediate meds within a day. Uh, The morphine and that sort of thing just doesn't agree with me. Um, So I survived really on uh, Tylenol and uh, Tramadol, which I took sparingly when I needed it in order to eat my meals. And uh, eating a lot more uh, often during the day Smaller meals, smaller bites, because it was difficult to swallow. That really lasted about two weeks. After that, um, I was basically able to uh, eat and function quite normally. Um, I was in the office uh, within a week, uh, going back in to uh, spend a few hours a day. Um, I felt uh, a bit tired, I rather expected that, but it didn't, uh, it didn't keep me from doing my uh, normal daily routines. Obviously, I didn't go and, and engage in sports and that sort of thing and, at that and
1: point. And how long of a break did you have between your surgery and when you started radiation therapy? Uh, that lasted a month. Okay. I started
2: radiation therapy in the middle
1: of December. And radiation therapy lasted uh, roughly six weeks or so? A little bit
2: longer. It took about seven weeks, uh, mainly because there were a number of holidays in at Christmas, New Year's, uh, and uh, I guess uh, uh, Martin Luther King Day. So it stretched out a little bit
1: longer. And and, and just tell me a little bit about going in for your radiation treatment. Uh, How long did it last, and, and what's it like to get a radiation treatment? Well uh, the first time in was
2: uh, a bit of a shock um, I I spent uh, quite some time with them having a mask uh, built for my head which I had not expected I didn't know what that was about um, that took a uh, better part of uh, an hour and uh, eventually it becomes a uh, an adjunct to your therapy in fact uh, when uh, you walk into the radiation treatment room. You are faced with a what looks like um, something out of Star Wars. Um, it's a giant robot and a uh, an operating table. And uh, the first time I saw it, I, I was a little taken aback. But everybody explained to me how it worked and what it, what it was, uh, what the functions were. And once I got used to that, it was actually pretty simple. Um, I would walk in at uh, sort of 8.30 or 9 in the morning, uh, drive up here from New Canaan, which is a bit of a hike, but uh, when you are dealing with things like this, uh, a little bit of uh, discomfort and and issue is is not a big deal. I would walk in, they would put me on the table, put the uh, fiberglass mask over me and lock it down onto the table so that I couldn't move. Uh, The idea being to pinpoint uh, the radiation without any uh, chance of irradiating areas that were not the target. Um, kept me very still. Uh, the first time or two it was a little bit claustrophobic, but I got used to it. It didn't take me too long to do that. And the how, people, how, how long would each How long would each treatment last once you were on the table? Uh, once on the table, uh, the treatments lasted
1: no more than 10, 12 minutes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and then we were done. And at first, did you notice anything was happening, or could you tell any difference at all? It took um,
2: three weeks before I really noticed any difference uh, in my uh, in my functioning, or otherwise. Um, in the third, uh, the end of the third week, into the fourth week, I started noticing. Uh, I was I was tired. I was a bit lethargic. Um, And I started noticing uh, more pain in my throat.
1: And was that the main symptom that continued was throat pain? Did you have any swallowing issues? I did not. Uh, Not at the time. Um,
2: Swallowing was not an issue for me and hadn't been from the surgery. I'd been told it might be. Um, I guess I have a rather large throat opening, uh, perhaps. I'm not sure. But um, it didn't bother me. Yeah. Um, the pain was, was the major issue. And with the tramadol uh, and Tylenol, I was able to manage that.
1: And after you finished therapy, how long before you, the, the pain resolved? Well, it, the
2: therapy ended the end of January. Um, I took tramadol and Tylenol to eat for probably another four or five weeks after that. Uh, At which point uh, I stopped taking the tramadol, um, and I took some Tylenol for another month or so, and that was it. After that, um, I still had discomfort, but I prefer
1: not to medicate if I can. And and how long uh, now? Are you totally back to normal without discomfort, or do you notice a change? No, there's there's certainly a change.
2: There's a um, residual hangover from it, if you will. Um, I've noticed that there is some scar tissue where the tonsil was removed, which uh, I can feel. It's uh, a little bit swollen, and perhaps uh, there's some edema there as well on that side of the neck. Um, also, the sinus area, the uh, the back of the throat, actually uh, into the sinus, is still a little bit uh, a little bit of pain. I notice primarily when I'm exercising, when it dries out. Um, Those are, you know, the major issues that I have, other than uh, the problem that I have with taste, which is something that developed during the the radiation process. Uh, After about two weeks, I noticed that my mouth tasted like it was full of uh, aluminum foil. And by the fourth or fifth week, that translated into tasting more like it was a bit of foil and a bag of salt. Some sea salt.
1: And so, has your taste uh, returned or started to return? It has. um, It has gotten
2: better. Uh, It has taken some time. It took longer for the uh, effects of the radiation to start to wear off than I expected. It took about two months after the radiation stopped. It seemed as if the radiation were continuing somehow uh, for those two months. But at that point, um, I noticed the uh, when the pain started subsiding uh, to the point where I didn't need uh, any medication at all, um, that got better. The taste is still uh, not 100%. Uh, it has come back a bit,
1: and I noticed it coming gradually. So I know you're a very active person, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, your, your activity level and your life and how this has affected you, um, you, you know, have you gotten totally back to where you wanted to be? And how how has it changed you?
2: In terms of activity, I went back to what I normally do within a couple of weeks after the radiation stopped. In fact, I was up in uh, Vail with my family two weeks after the radiation was over uh, for a week's skiing. I thought I would be uh, having a lot of trouble. I didn't. Uh, My stamina was down a little bit, but that built up even within that week. Two weeks after that, I went up to Aspen with a group of 16 guys and skied as if nothing had ever happened. Um, I play tennis. Uh, I like to uh, golf. I bike regularly. In fact, last weekend I did about 85 kilometers on my bike in the uh, New Canaan area. Uh, from that standpoint, I'm, I'm back, I would say,
0: 99 to 101%. Chaz Timberlake is a head and neck cancer survivor, We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program. And we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.